Hi and welcome to From Many People's Strength, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. My name is Corey and my pronouns are he and him. And my name is David and my pronouns are they, them, or he, him. And I guess we have a few stories this week. Yeah, um, a lot of them, again, sort of the theme of the year, a theme of the last two years. Um, are, are of course COVID related. It's COVID, COVID, COVID. As, as is always, <laughs> it is the elephant in the room for news, probably in most places, but uh, you know, definitely yeah. the news in Saskatchewan. So no matter what you do, it informs exactly everything yeah. that's going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when that is irrelevant i guess we had a little chunk of time a few months ago where it That's seemed true. like we yeah. weren't talking about it nearly nearly all that often like 80 percent of our down. yeah 80 percent <laughs> of our conversations had nothing to do with it yeah but, yeah so before we get too far um happy anniversary this is our our one year yeah, of having done year. this um <laughs> so um i think we're up around show number high 30s something like that because we were weekly for a while and then we yeah. switched to bi-weekly and we missed a couple here and there but yeah this this is episode 37 37 okay yeah it's so. kind of a weird number for it being a one-year anniversary but <laughs> is what it is happy thanksgiving as well yeah that's right happy thanksgiving uh if you like what we do make sure to share it around uh, I'm sure other Saskatchewan people need a more progressive take on things to, to know they're not the only one in their uh, their group. What, are you saying that the majority of people talking about <laughs> politics in this province aren't progressive? Well, who, it sounds like that. <laughs> who would have imagined? Who, who could have ever thought that that was the case? Yeah, that's right. So, Speaking uh, of which. <laughs> screaming into the void. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, Sask Human Rights Code won't accommodate people refusing vaccination due to personal preference. So the Sask Human Rights Commission just said they're not accepting yeah. your complaints about not wanting to get vaccinated. Yeah. So, and I, I don't think I don't think anyone, well, no one should be surprised by this. Yeah, um, you wouldn't think so. Yeah, it, it's like I, I again, I can understand. Um, you know, I can understand anyone wanting to be wary of government overreach. Right. So I get that. Um, but this isn't a protected status, right? The article that you shared does talk about the things that are protected statuses, which identifiable, yep. identifiable group categories um, fall under human rights and not wanting to get medicine isn't one of them. Um, yep. And more importantly... <laughs> Um, no one's being forced to get the vaccine. I think, I think if something came out where the government was forcing people to get it, um, I probably would be a lot more, um, inclined to support those who say, no, I have, I have ethical or moral reasons, heck, even right. religious reasons, as long as it was part of the broader moral or ethical category, um, for not getting this. Yeah, um, they're not taking you to the vaccine no. clinic and sticking a needle in your arm against your will. Right. So, um, so like, at this point, it is not a case of you being forced to do something. It's 
you weren't allowed to do this dangerous thing where you could harm others. And we've got lots of things that say that you're not allowed to speed, right? Like, um, I, I, I can't go to the human rights commission and say it is a violation. The speed limits are a violation of my human rights because of the right to free travel. Right. Like we have a right to free travel. That is, that is a, a constitutionally enshrined right, uh, mobility, the, the, the right to, to move. Um, that I, I can't go to a human rights commission and say my right to mobility and my right to free travel is being impinged because of the speeding limits, because right. they'll come back and say, no, that's a reasonable limit on your rights because you exercising that rights at speeds above the limit, put other people at danger. And this falls into the same category. Um, yeah. you know, I went to a store today. They needed to see my vaccine, um, verification when I went. Um, and you know, it was a liquor store, so they needed to see my ID as well, um, to prove <laughs> right. I was the right age. And they compared the two. Like I- I've had to show ID, like, I haven't had to show ID at the liquor store for that for a while now because I, I look <laughs> right. ancient. Um, but like, you had to show ID at liquor stores for a long time. Having to show it an extra piece is not a, a yeah. violation of rights. So, no, um, I was I was thinking the other day though, um, and this is again maybe a little bit coming a, a further afield from um, you know. The, uh, the, the specific story, but related to COVID and related to people who have these deeply held beliefs that they don't want to get vaccinated. Um, you know, if someone is an anti-vaxxer and gets sick and goes into the hospital, um, and needs treatment, every single doctor that I have ever met in my life is still going to treat them to the yep best level of care possible. They are still going to receive care. Um, no matter what level of political beliefs this person has or, or anti-vax beliefs this person has. And then, uh, doctors yeah. and nurses I know are, are moral stalwarts on that. However, the one circumstance in which they won't is if care is denied by a competent adult. Mm-hmm. So I think one of these, one of the things these anti-vaxxers should do is start ensuring they have advanced care directives that say they want to refuse care from any doctor who believes in vaccines. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be a, I think that would be um, a really important step that they can do to, you know, solidify their beliefs because the doctors in themselves are not going to deny them care unless they are specifically told that the patient is choosing to deny care. So I really think that, you know, if they're worried about all of these doctors who are just shills for the pharmaceutical industry, all these doctors that they don't trust, um, the 98% of doctors who believe in vaccines, they should, you know, if they're really concerned that these doctors don't have their best interests in mind, they should take the bold step and explicitly deny care from any doctor or healthcare professional that believes in vaccines. I think that would be a way of really ensuring that they're protected from um, these doctors. So if they, you know, if they do go into uh, cardiac arrest, they, they, they should say, no, I don't want resuscitation. If the person doing the resuscitation believes in vaccines, because who knows, they might, they might, they might do some sort of healthcare procedure that uh, goes against. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually, it makes me think of a conversation I had with one of these uh, conspiratorial type people who said uh, that hospitals were act- actually killing people with the ventilators. Yeah. So if you believe that, 
then you have to have a, a strategy in place to make sure that when you go in and can't breathe because you're sick, somebody you care for is going to say to the doctor, no, you can't put them on a ventilator. Um, well, and not just somebody you say for you should get it. You should make sure you have an advanced care directive in place because if if it's just some random person saying it, yeah, but, no, that's but right, yeah, yeah, get get something in writing um, yeah. that that says you want you wish to deny all medical treatment from from anyone who believes in uh, vaccines and that believes COVID is real. Yep. So yeah, just to keep yourself <laughs> safe. That's right. I, I I understand. I'm I'm being a bit of an ass. It sounds that, a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my patience is getting pretty fucking thin with these yahoos. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I think we all are. And again, part of why I'm saying it the way I am is because I do know that they are creating this burden on our healthcare system. And I also know that the, the healthcare professionals we have, like I said, won't deny them care. They will still yeah. get the best treatment possible. And because of that, it, it's straining our system even further um, and putting the lives of others at risk even more. Because there are people who do end up in the hospital now for completely non-COVID related reasons. And because of strains on healthcare systems, um, that is that is impacting the care that they can receive. So yeah, yeah it's not moving <laughs> away from COVID. It's a similar topic, but it's a specific one that um, I think is, um, is a dream. This one does sort of skirt the line a bit because now we are looking at um, the court stepping in and requiring a medical treatment. Um, yeah. Yeah. The this difference is... being it's, it's, it's a, a conflict between two parents. So it is, it is yeah. not just Underage an adult daughter. Yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah, 13 years old, I believe she is. Uh, yeah, judges ruled the 13-year-old child of divorced Saskatoon parents should be vaccinated against COVID-19 despite legal opposition from the girl's mother. So the dad wants her to get vaccinated. The mother doesn't. And then uh, at one point, the daughter was on board with the vaccination. And then after receiving uh, all this misinformation from her mother, it then decided she didn't want it. But now the court is saying that uh, she has to have it. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's a, a you know, th this isn't the only story of a similar nature. Like if you, if you open the story itself, there's the embedded link of a similar case in Quebec where it wasn't the parent, but it was, it was a, a, a child, 12 year old themselves was wanting it and their parents preventing and they, the child was allowed to get it. So we're like, there are some gray area cases. There are cases on the edges on this where we do have to examine sort of the, interplay between the rights of parents and the rights of a child and and how yeah. those are balanced and who is the final arbiter of that and how do we protect children from um caregivers who may not have their best interest in heart things like that become become challenging and become uh gray areas that i don't envy any judge having to rule over but at the end of the day this is this is a medical treatment that saves lives um yeah, that's right. And, and I, I think the in the one in Saskatchewan specifically, um, from everything I've seen in the article, um, the the mother was not able to overcome the overwhelming evidence within the trial. So, yeah, or hearing, and I guess, not a trial. But I think I know, like we have these edge cases and kind of gray areas, but at some point, the facts that 
uh, Pfizer, the, the vaccines are safe and help prevent illness, uh, has to play against the, the non-fact of their, you know, supposed danger. Yeah. And one would hope that in general, the truth and facts will win out in these cases. Yeah. And like the doc, the, the daughter spoke to an independent doctor to, um, to, to sort of uncover sort of some of the information that was given. So it, it's an interesting story. It's one that, um, I don't envy, um, anyone involved in it. Um, I feel like even the mother who is right. anti-vax, I feel sympathy for her. Um, cause she, she honestly thinks this is something that's going to harm her child. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, frustrated because the evidence is pretty overwhelming that it won't, but yeah. I still have sympathy for her around thinking it will. Um, and again, they get, this falls into a slightly different than just, I don't want to get it, but I'm sick. <laughs> this isn't, I don't want to get it and I'm grumpy. I can't go to the store now. This is, I don't want my daughter to get it. And now it's being forced. Like that is a little different. Um, yeah. and, and yeah. I, like I said, I think it, this one very much skirts the line of where my, my discomfort comes in. Um, but especially, uh, you know, especially in a case where there are, you know, two parents at odds like this, uh, unfortunately that is when the courts need to step in on so many cases when it comes to, uh, um, you know, parents who are at odds. So. Yeah. Yeah. SAS party MLA resigns from caucus for misrepresenting her vaccination status. And according to the release, all the other Saskatchewan party MLA MLAs are fully vaccinated. Uh, Nadine Wilson had to resign or did resign. I don't know if she was pushed out in a sense, but she, uh, she apparently said that she was vaccinated in multiple ways and, and she wore a I'm vaccinated button when she was, uh, on an interview or something. And, uh, yeah, it just turns out she's not or she wasn't. Yeah. Was lying. And it, <laughs> It's, it's to some extent the opposite of what's happening with a lot of right wing politicians where you're hearing a lot of, uh, probably this is more so in the US, but a lot of right wing politicians who stand up and rail against the vaccine and side with the anti-vaxxers publicly, all the while they were first in line to get vaccinated months and months ago. Yep. Like they've been vac vaccinated for over six months, literally first in line, jumped the queue to get it. Yeah. All the while secretly, not secret, like all the while publicly. Um, you know, railing against it. Um, this is sort of the opposite. This is someone who said they were vaccinated when, when weren't and lying about it. Um, yep. Which, yeah, like as a MP, when you lie about shit that people care about, you, you resign. That's sort of what's been happening in politics for couple hundred years now right like that's just that is tends yep. to be and again sometimes you can weather the storm um i will not be surprised in any way shape or form if she's quietly brought back into caucus a year from now right yeah, she I didn't step that. That she didn't step down as an mla so she's still going right, to be right. in the legislature she's still going to vote um she may even still have roles on various committees i don't know um if she's stepping down from any committee duties or anything like that right yeah but like so she'll still be there and when the dust settles when hopefully covid subsides when it's not the story of the day anymore um 
uh, my guess is she'll be quietly brought back in. Um, uh, and, and this will just be one of those things that sort of scuttles yeah. her from cabinet maybe, but like, even then, um, the SAS party has not shown that scandal is really a disqualifying factor for cabinet in this, in this party. So, yeah, that's right. Um, I guess, uh, we've got another article that's kind of related. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to like bring it up, but, uh, it's from the PA now.com where she, she speaks about how I am being for being penalized, uh, for not for her position. Like, I guess she's, I know in the other article, it says that she was, uh, resigned, yeah. but in this one, she goes into it kind of saying like, that uh, she, she was, it wasn't because she wanted to leave the SAS party. <laughs> right. Which like, resigned is often a euphemism in politics, right? Like that's yeah, not, yeah. it's how often do you like when someone fucks up badly in politics, they, they quote unquote resign, which is they get a tap on the shoulder from the premier or prime minister or president or governor or whoever yeah. the whip um and told hey like we're asking for your resignation or the you need to resign or you're getting kicked out and it's way more embarrassing for you if you're kicked out yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. and the resign could very well be exactly what i said right like one of the reasons why people resign instead of fight tooth and nail is when the, the quieter the resignation the easier it is to slide them back in a year later right um, right so but yeah like if she's being asked to leave or forced out, like, yeah, that, that's how this works. That's, that's the, <laughs> that's the game you signed up for. Like, yeah. Like representative politics in a, like, I'm the first one to say, I don't like the power of parties in Canadian politics. I think we need to pull power out of the party system. It's one of the reasons why, when it comes to electoral reform, I'm not a huge fan of proportional representation because the MMP models always shift more power into the party hands rather right. than to the hands of the individual MLAs or MPs. Uh, and why I much prefer um, other forms of electoral reform, like ranked choice validating or instant runoff, things like that. But yeah, um, with you know, with a case like this, it's like yeah, the, the party gets to kick you out. Um, and then you get to sit as an independent still. So yeah, yeah. like you don't have a right to be in that party there, because there's rules built in. And if they think you're an embarrassment, they can ask you to leave and for any reason. Like if, you know, if a politician, um, I don't know, uh, do something. I don't want to come up with some sort of bizarre, weird example, but like <laughs> if they, for example, uh, were convicted of drinking and driving. Sure. <laughs> No, no, that doesn't get them kicked out, though. But, like, a, a politician embarrasses themselves royally, spills spaghetti all over themselves, and does a pratfall, and, you know, right, does right. something ridiculous and embarrassing, but nothing immoral or illegal, but just it's embarrassing and it humiliates whatever. The party still has the ability to get, yeah, no, you're an embarrassment to the party, get out. They often right. won't, because in you know, in most legislatures, the balance of power is tight enough that losing an MP, it, it has to be weighed against things. But like, yeah, like the SAS party before... could kick out 10 members <laughs> and still have an overwhelming majority. Like they don't yeah. have to be cautious on who they kick out of caucus. Yeah, that's right. And I, 
like uh, I guess a, a decent might example might be like before the election, uh, before this pro- provincial election, there was a QAnon uh, SAS party member who was subsequently removed from the SAS party. Yeah. Yep. So that's yeah. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it's not unique. And um, the whole like because I'm standing up for my beliefs thing is a bit of a red herring as well. Yeah. Because she yeah. didn't like no. if she's anti-vax. She didn't stand up for her beliefs. Like that's different. And no, like standing up for your beliefs is saying, I will not get the vaccination. And if they kick me out of the party for it, so be it. Yeah. Um, and they might have, they might have kicked her out of the party for it. I don't know. Yeah, um, that's right. and we will never know because she didn't do it. Yeah. She didn't stand firm on her beliefs. <laughs> yeah. Because these aren't deeply held beliefs. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, no, <laughs> that's right. This, this sort of touches back on t- kind of two themes we've had already. One is, sort of people having consequences for things they've said or done. And two, sort of one of the things I was sort of expressing earlier is frustration with all the bullshit. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Kyle Anderson on the podcast before. Yeah, um, big I'm, fan. I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> and um, there was a, a circumstance recently where he tweeted out um, about a prominent anti-vaxxer who had run as a uh, MP under the um, uh, the People's Party um, and was one of the loudest voices. And there was rumors going around that he was in the hospital for COVID. And it mm. sounds like um, Dr. Anderson essentially called the hospital, at least sort of the, the way he positioned it, he called the hospital and said, hey, I'd like to send a gift to this guy. We are political adversaries but if he's in the hospital like i still want to send a token of appreciation a gift basket because i don't want anyone to die from this like no matter no it goes back to i was talking earlier like doctors don't want people getting sick Uh, but he basically said i want to send a gift basket to this person uh because in spite of him and i falling on literally polar opposite ends of the the spectrum on this um He's still someone I've interacted with. I still have compassion for him. I still want, you know, want to wish him well. And was told, no, you you can't send a gift basket because he's in the COVID ward. And he tweeted about that, um, which is now being considered sharing public health information and and likely is. He has now apologized um, for it. so he talked, he, he tweeted a couple times. Initially, he said the tweet. Then he sort of did a follow-up explaining how he got the information. Then he sort of sent out a non-apology, a, a clarification. Um, okay. Which I actually, I probably think it was fine at that point. He sort of said, um, I write this note to correct erroneous information and assumptions circulating online. Um, yesterday, a detractor of COVID science and evidence-based policies was claimed by others to have been taken to the hospital. He then continues on and says like, um, I did not reveal any information that I obtained through like, like inside channels essentially. Um, but then he, he did come out and say, no, I, I got carried away. I was pissed. I was angry. Um, that's like, I, I crossed a line. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have tweeted about him being in the hospital at all. Um, yeah, I'm just really frustrated at all the, he didn't say it this way, but he, I'm really frustrated at all the bullshit that's been going on. So, I mean, he's a human being, right? Yeah. So 
uh, we're all, like you say, we're all getting very frustrated with the bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that <laughs> this seems, I don't know, maybe I'm doing a, um, the term to cock fallacy or the what about ism, but um, okay. the one of the things that I stood out to me as the story was going on after Dr. Anderson talks about this, the Dean of medicine publicly posts how I'm aggrieved that any member of the college of medicine would have private information and da, 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 and goes on to basically publicly chastise Dr. Anderson through Twitter. And part of me is like, okay, if we're worried about, privacy and if this whole story is about privacy right should the dean of a college be publicly chastising one of their employees like should discipline be should the dean be handing out discipline through twitter because if if this is a disciplinary issue that dr anderson probably needs to not. be speaking to his <laughs> boss about his boss probably shouldn't be informing him of that through yeah. twitter yeah like that's like that is at least as much a privacy issue as hey, I called the hospital and they said he's in the COVID ward. Yeah, that's right. Because again, because Dr. Anderson didn't get information that you or I couldn't have gotten. Like that wasn't right, information yeah. he got by being a member of the College of Medicine. Because he's a doctor, probably did skirt some of those ethical lines, and and I'm not the one to. I don't know what right. it says in his contract or what the oaths yeah. and all of that say. Um, they quite but, likely have, like, at the very least, they have, like, a higher ethical guide, yeah. right? So, so he – and, like, say, he did admit he crossed the line. Yeah. So, so I – yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's one of those things where I, I just – this is a lot going on in that story that doesn't yeah. pass the sniff test. Um the fact that we've we've had so many stories over the last 18 months of when someone gets sick um, and it's COVID related and their name is in the news because of it, that yeah. it seems weird that the biggest thorn in the side of the premier over the last year and a half all of a sudden is getting chastised publicly by the dean of medicine. Um the second something even like the second something enters into a gray area and right. I don't want to sound like a paranoid conspiracy nut. <laughs> um, and I know I kind of do. I just, it seems, but I mean, to give you a, a, a bit of a bone here, uh, <laughs> people with power and influence use that power and influence to sometimes, uh, you, uh, get people in trouble, like yeah. to, you know, affect other people's lives if they don't like what they're saying. Yeah. It's <laughs> so anyways, I think it's still a story that people should know about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially. It's not, yeah. It's not a story that I'm going to stop supporting uh, Dr. Anderson no. over. No. <laughs> so. and especially as his, like I, 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 you know, as his political aspirations, um, you know, may grow because I, I think um, he has not hidden the fact that he is a strong NDP supporter. He is interested in a current politics at some point. Um, he's a big believer that, um, you know, science has a place in politics. Um, yeah. So uh, he spoke at the NDP convention or is going to, I, I, one of the two. So like his name is not going to disappear after this passes. And I think we're going to be hearing about him again in the future. So um, yeah, it's it's important to know. 
All right. Court throws out a challenge to Saskatchewan's proof of vaccination policy. An application argued Saskatchewan's vaccination policy is a violation of charter rights. So this is a lot like uh, the uh, Human Rights Tribunal uh, saying that they're not going to be taking these cases. Yep. Uh, The Court of Queen's Bench bench Justice in Saskatoon ruled against the group arguing that uh, proof of vaccination is a violation of their charter of rights and freedoms. Yeah. So So I would... Yeah, you know, it, I would expect it to be this to go this way. Yeah, and the then same. you're going to see different <laughs> different groups doing different avenues. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, it was the court application was brought by the former PPC candidate Mark Friesen, um, who yeah I may or may <laughs> not be related to previous stories we've discussed. Um, yeah. As well as, you know, the concerned citizens of Estevan and the United Grassroots. Like, it, it, these groups spring up. I, I, I would be wary of calling them grassroots because I suspect there's a bit of astroturfing going there's on. There's definitely some astroturfing going on. <laughs> um, and the nice thing about all of this, if there's anything nice that comes out of it, is the group has been ordered to pay $5,000 in costs um, to cover the court costs because yeah. it's basically been, you know, ruled. It's a waste of time. It's a waste, yeah. yeah. Um, not not content to just bog down our healthcare system. I might as well bog down the legal system as well. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it wasn't just this was settled or that it was ruled in one way or another. Um, it was ruled that they like not only lost, but they failed to show any evidence that, uh, that proof of vaccine requirements would cause irreparable harm. <laughs> like this right. wasn't just a, you know, you lost based on, it was like, no, you're, you don't even have a leg to stand on. Get the fuck yeah. out of our courtroom. Um, so, which good, like hopefully there'll be less of, Less of this. Um, yes. Again, the downside of it being um, these do set precedent. So when there are cases that are slightly more gray, um, you know, I, I do have some worry about that um, down the road. But it's we can't get too worried about the slippery slope when there is a concern here and now. So, yeah. And. Thing, a thing like something like this, I suppose we could be concerned that they might, um, if they have su- appropriate backing to do it, they might be appealing this kind of thing and, and trying, you know, going, yeah, you know, it might make it farther into the court system if they can, you know, convince the next judge or the next judge or something like that. But yeah. at this moment, this was the right ruling and this is the right uh, yeah. situation. Uh, this is uh, This is press progress. I know uh, right-wingers will dismiss this. Yeah, they are the Fox <laughs> News of the left. <laughs> so, but um, this, is not, uh, this is not something that is terribly easy to dispute. Yeah. Uh, well, the study itself isn't from Press Progress. They're just right, reporting right. on a study. Yeah. So Saskatchewan's infrastructure funding value for money test is biased towards privatization, according to a new study. Mm-hmm. So the assessment tool for infrastructure funding in Saskatchewan and other Western provinces has a lock-in bias towards public-private partnerships, which almost always means more private than par- public. 
<laughs> yeah. And I, I, one of the jokes I've been saying for years is like, I, I'm so old when we, uh, I'm so old that when a, a government siphoned money out of infrastructure projects into the pockets of their friends, it was just called embezzlement rather than a P3 project. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but like, essentially P3s are like legalized embezzlement. Um, it's, yeah. it's, there's a, public infrastructure project that needs to get built, the government, instead of hiring people to do it, hires someone to hire someone to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so this middleman takes their cut and they wouldn't do it if there wasn't a profit. Um, and I know the right wing philosophy um, and that it is, it is one of these things that is assumed to be true just by virtue of it being said over and over and over again is that the private sector is more efficient than the public sector. Um, but on this type of but scale, it's, it's not. not. It's not. Because you're, you're like, if Bob the construction worker is being hired by a private company or Bob the construction worker is being hired by the province, he doesn't care. Like, yeah. I've never met someone who says the amount of work they are going to do in a day is based on who eight levels up is paying them, right? Nope, you know, right. there's other things that do impact that, um, but um, it, it doesn't make things more efficient. Um, we know that, like, studies have shown that time and time and time again. Um and this study is just one more that showed P3s are getting recommended um, right off the hop. They aren't really doing a proper level of due diligence. There's this soft lock-in where P3s get um, sweetheart deals for corporations. And often case, oftentimes, politicians then later on join those same corporations they've given them sweetheart deals to. <laughs> yeah. Like this is absolutely 100% conflict of interest. We know yeah. um, they are uh, these, the, these organizations who end up making profit off of the P3 deals ha have lobbyists offer consulting positions. The politicians then again, start working for them when they're done. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the the accounting that gets done to prove that the P3 projects are are more efficient tend to be done by accounting firms who themselves are being employed by the very lobbying groups that support the creation of P3s. Like it, it's yeah. it, it is legalized embezzlement. Um it drives yeah. me nuts. Um and one of the things is like reverse economy of scale where the government governments are not small. Like if we're talking about provincial and federal level governments, they are not small entities, even Saskatchewan, like Saskatchewan is not a giant right. province, a giant economy, but it's still a, like a provincial government. Yeah. Um, they have the economies of scale to hire directly. And P3s are not just, um, tendering contracts, right? Like it's, um, P3s also involve corporations then owning parts of the finished project and can yeah. continue to charge the government <laughs> over time. Um, so like, they I, I get paid for the project and then they get perpetual free money after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> because like I, usually the government 
picks up the maintenance cost. Yeah. <laughs> so, Which they're not so, supposed to, the whole point. But it, it, this, I think a lot of people have this idea that a P3 is just simply the government's hiring a company to do stuff. Like, that's that's just tendering a contract. That is not a P3. No. Um, so, like, if the government needs to build a road, sometimes you'll have public works employees who actually work directly for the province working on it. Um, sometimes you'll have the government hiring a individual construction companies um, or contractor, like, yeah, they'll put out a tender for contract. And, and hi- yeah. That's not a P3. A P3 no. is a partnership where the government and a company sort of co-own the end project. Um, yeah. And again, companies don't do that unless they are making a profit. Why, and, and profit is just like it's siphoning off revenue um, for no reason yep. for the province. They have no incentive to do this. Um, and again... I like I said. Not I, I, I said I would try not to go <laughs> off on this, um, but it, it's uh, yeah. one of those things where the mm-hmm. economics of it are are so black and white, and <laughs> right. It it feels like it's a centrist idea, um, or some people even see P threes as a left wing alternative to privatization. But it's not. It's it's yeah. it, like to some degree, it's even worse than privatization. Right. Um, because at least in privatization, if something is privately owned, at least the government's not on the hook for siphoning public money into a private corporation. Yeah. But that's what these are. These are like literally siphoning public money into a private corporation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Ask me how I really feel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I ranted there. So what are your well, thoughts? <laughs> well, no, I basically in the same boat. I, I see, I see private Part, private public partnerships as a inroad to pure privatization of various infrastructure projects. And I'm anti that. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a link in our show notes that I'll include in, in the, uh, in the published episode it's uh, to selling Saskatchewan.ca. I know uh, any right wingers are going to just look at this and they're going to dismiss it, but it's a list of things that have been sold off to private industry or are in the process of it. Um, So it's, you know, I think it's a good resource, but not everybody's going to like that. That said, in the the press progress article that you shared, it links directly to the study. um, And right, right. Like the nice thing about studies is regardless of who did the study, um, cause if you, if you think the, the, the think tank that did the study in the first place is not a legitimate source, that's fine, but you can still look at the raw data in the study. Yeah. You can still look at their, um, their methodology. So, yeah, which is, I encourage anybody to go and do look at the black and white numbers, see what you think. The Regina co-op refinery complex is announcing, uh, 54 layoffs in a, uh, call for, uh, needed for sustainability uh, which of course the union disagrees with. I also disagree with it. I think, uh, sustainability, uh, means they need to maintain the same profit level. <laughs> so when, uh, and, and it's the employees that take the hit. Yeah. It's, I mean, over 50 people losing their job here at the refinery. So I, I know people who work there. I know most people in Regina know of somebody who works there yeah. and it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And I know 
I know there's a, a kind of a fuel shortage or what have you. There's, you know, there's a reason that the price of fuel is currently at a dollar 43 per liter. Um, but I would think that if you're going to raise prices, that would also feed into maintaining a, uh, a, your employee base. Uh, but so the crown revises sentencing position in assault case following Gladue report. Uh, so Lewis George's, uh, history, he was found guilty of, I believe it was stabbing a man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Aggravated assault. Yeah. For stabbing. And, uh, the crown actually like was uh, had a, his history brought forward and discussed, and they actually backed off of a more severe sentence in favor of a less severe sentence, saying that he need re- needed rehabilitation and rather rather than uh, uh, just punishment. <sighs> so. <laughs> I think this is a uh, this is a bit of a feel a, a bit of a good story coming out of the courts, which you don't see very often. Yeah. Um, I I think that maybe just you know I don't know maybe just off the top of my head we should always be taking personal history into account, and when we consider sentencing, uh, if we're going to maintain continue on with the carceral system. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just my thought yeah. no I, I think you're right um, it, it's I'm opposed to the carceral system in yes. general um, so yeah, not a fan um, yeah it, it, it's I think this is a, a positive story um, in so much as the most recent part of it is a positive development. Like the whole story yeah. is awful. Um, right. Yeah. It is, it is the story of someone who, um, went, had went through a very difficult life, found themselves in a very difficult spot. Um, yeah. uh, you know, addictions is a healthcare issue. Um, now obviously the assault is, is not, but the two are tied together. Right. Um, yeah. One doesn't just assault people because, well, I mean, in general, people do not just assault other people because they enjoy assaulting people. Uh, There's reasons, there's a a past that leads up to it. There's a cause for that effect. So if we could maybe uh, study that cause and mitigate those things and take those into account, even at the the sentencing point, like that's, I think pretty important and one of the things that always comes up is what is the purpose of a criminal justice system what type of justice are we looking for um is is the purpose to keep people safe um is the purpose to um uh, move on with healing of victims is the purpose to punish the guilty um we, we yeah. claim it's not the latter, but oftentimes a lot of the decisions. Uh, sorry, when I say we claim, the foundational, <laughs> the yeah. foundational aspects of our working model, uh, of our you know constitutional framework and legal framework, is that um, what we do is not about punishing the guilty um, in most cases. Like there are punitive elements within civil cases, um, but uh, like. This is supposed to be about 
rehabilitation. This is supposed to be about public safety. Um, and we should be doing, we should be looking at an evidence-based approach to public safety and focusing on punishing people strays away from that. And again, we know that this is not like it is unstudied science. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, so I guess, in a sense, we ended on a less somber note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Like it, again, it's awful what ha- led to that point, but it is good that there is a, uh, the Galaji report came out and it is good that the crown in light of that, um, has been swayed by a combination of both the Galaji report and, um, George's lawyer. Um, you know, kudos to, um, I believe Jill Drennan is, is the lawyer that, uh, in question and, and made a, a strong case for, like leading on a path of healing, leading on a path of um, rehabilitation, as yeah. opposed to focusing on a path of punishment and vengeance. So. Okay. Well, I think that's all we've got for you today. So with that, you can find us at anchor.fm slash from many peoples. Our, our Twitter is at SK politics, but our Facebook is facebook.com slash from many people's strength pod. You can email us at frommanypeoples at gmail.com. Or if you want to give us a couple bucks, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash frommanypeoples. Well, thanks again for doing all the work, Corey, and letting me just show up and rant. This was a much more ranty episode than I've done lately. I've sort of fell back into some bad habits, but I appreciate you putting up with me while I... It's perfect. (laughs) It filled exactly the right amount of time. Excellent. (laughs) All right. And I will see you again in two weeks. You bet.